It's embarrassing. It's a disgrace. That's what it is, a disgrace. That's how I feel. And that's how everybody feels in that room. <laughs> to whatever the weather another arsenal podcast uh we join you following arsenal's unfortunate defeat to aston villa at the weekend um however i am fortunately joined we're joined by dan how are you, how are you doing dan yeah not too bad how are you i'm good mate. and by james how are you hello <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of them it's one of them no i'm good i'm good good to be back yeah Good to be back. It's good Shame to it's not back. in uh, winning circumstances, but you know. No, that's true. These things are sent to try us. They are indeed. They are indeed. Nobody said it would be easy. I did. Last part, I said, yeah, pretty confident. So hmm. that's. <laughs> it was going to be a piece of piss. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, it was, um, yeah, seven minutes in, um, it started to not look so easy. James, how did you enjoy the game? Sneaky little John McGinn. I've always said he's a good player, to be fair. He is. But, um, mm. yeah, there, I think that was uh, Aston Villa's one good move of the game. Yeah. Of course, if you if you followed mainstream media, of course, they, they've played us off the pitch. You know, they're the greatest <laughs> team since nice Oh, they're, they're title you know, contenders. Um, they're, you know, they're, basically, they're... they're basically Ajax of 1974, Barcelona yep. of 2011, mm-hmm. uh, Arsenal of 2004, Man United 1999. You know, Arsenal, they are, Arsenal know, made the biggest mistake um, ever getting the devote Unai Emery and we were somehow really evil clearly. for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, clearly. No, um, yes. Disappointing game, wasn't it? I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't think we played that badly. Um, it was one of those games, probably not that dissimilar to the Newcastle game, where it was always going to be decided by a goal. Um, unfortunately, Aston Villa got that goal, um, and then it was a case of could we could we equalise? Um, I thought we did enough in the game to get an equaliser, um, but we didn't create enough cutting edge chances. I suppose um, there was nothing really clear cut that you can look back on and say. Yeah, we had to score that. Obviously, Saka had a chance at the back post. Um, Odegaard had two. <laughs> Odegaard had one that he dragged wide. Um, Jesus had a bit of a miscontrol on the penalty spot. If he brings that down, because um, his touch is usually really, really sharp, I think you know he's pretty much one on one. Obviously, we had we had a goal that I felt uh, maybe there's a bit of bias in my voice, but I felt was was very harshly disallowed. But um, yeah. It was one of those games. I don't. I don't think we were that bad. I don't think. I tell you what. I. I. I, I would sum up my feelings, um, and we could probably wrap the podcast up <laughs> nice and early. Yeah. By saying that I don't think we. I don't think we were. We um, necessarily deserve to lose, but I can also accept we probably weren't good enough to win. Go and on the it. day, I suppose what you're looking for, if you, if you know, we all hold hold the bar quite high with this Arsenal team, um, because we are challenging for the league title. Um, did we really do enough to, to win the game or get in back into it? Probably not. 
and that's that's probably the indictment, isn't it? We did, so we didn't really have that many clear cut chances. It was a few half chances, and perhaps the the critical amongst us might say that we didn't do enough to get ourselves back into that game. Mm. It was very frustrating. I would say no. Nope. I think that's the overall. I thought that's. The, I thought that was well, probably that's, our that's, uh, best away performance of the season. Takeaway from that's that, Dan. Um, how did I thought you? We uh, made a ton of yeah. chances. We just didn't take them. You, you, we, we're not talking about Luton, right? <laughs> talking about like, the Villa. We scored four goals mm. away. We're talking about Aston Villa, yeah. Yeah, but also also conceded so three. By the way. I was going to um, say, this is a yeah, very that interesting, that interesting perspective. Due man. to like, us missing about Aston Villa. You say no clear-cut chances. Mm. <laughs> what game are you watching? We had about three or four. We did more than enough to come away with at least a point and probably should have won the game. Um, I thought we were really good. Um, after 10 minutes, Villa did absolutely nothing and we controlled and dominated that game. So, <clears throat> again, of course... The end result is always the most important. We lost. Simple as that. Disappointing, frustrating, but I think there's positives to take from it. And um, yeah. I have to say, these two responses from uh, from Dan and James here are the most look, rational responses I've heard from Arsenal fans. Let me let me jump in right there game. and just say <laughs> I really that have to. Number one, I mean that may be just be diabolical. to do with social media or the yeah. Okay. I don't think we've got a damn thing. Just the general, the, yeah. I don't think we've got a damn thing. Um, I just think to, to kind of go back on my point, I think Without when you're aiming to be the champions, no. there's a certain standard that you kind of aim to get to, and I think we. We had enough half chances to have scored, but a mark of a great side is taking those chances. And I'm not saying that we're not a great side, but we couldn't take those chances when it mattered in a big, big game. Um, we, I think, flattered to deceive a little bit. But I will also say, like I said to begin with, I thought we played generally very well. I don't think that was a game that I can sit back and say we deserve to lose, much like the Newcastle game. I don't think we deserve to lose that either. Um, the thing that frustrates me is I think and it, I know it was highlighted on Match Today and there's been a lot spoken about it, but Aston Villa plays such a high line. They leave you chances to get in behind. They've done this numerous times throughout the season. You know, we saw the game. They played a game at the Toilet Bowl where they came away with a 2-1 win against Spurs where they could have been 5-0 down early on. And I think Aston Villa had enough. There was enough holes in their defence and midfield that we could have got through. And I think the times when we did try and get the ball out wide or, or break the lines, we looked really dangerous. I just don't understand why. We didn't do it more. Yeah, yeah I, I remember I really you texting me during the during the game and, and saying, "Well, they have a don't worry, really, Villa have I've, a soft underbelly." I really felt. I really felt. Like, I really felt oh, I, well, I, I really I think like, oh, it would have had we equalised. I think it would have gone quite Come similar on. to the game we played <laughs> earlier on in the year, mm. where I think they would have, we would have gone on and won the game. I think even if even, you know, the goal, I'm sure we'll come to it, the goal that was really disallowed. In fact, do you know what? I'm going to just go straight into it. Mm. I think. Yeah, I. <laughs> I think, you know what? This is this is the elephant in the pod. This is the elephant in the podcast, isn't it? Is the. Uh, is, is is going, the uh, I'm going to say that the thing is, people keep saying the Havertz goal, but it. 
the whole reason that it's not it's Eddie's goal. Yeah, and people seem talking about it. it I mean, around I thought, the Habits thing. You know, I'm like, well, the ball okay, comes fine, in, but he the didn't referee can't see. Finish it, it, he's he? made a complete so, guess of whether it's handball. I mean, to be fair, I mean that you can see because obviously the ball gets stuck somewhere in their midriff. He's assumed it's a handball. And the easiest thing to do is, well, it's a handball against the attacking team. Let's hope VAR clear it up. And obviously the way that the rules are at the moment, which is a complete joke, is that if the attacking player handballs it, then the, the goal doesn't stand. I I thought that from my perspective, watching it back, I thought Matty Cash handles the ball first. It does hit Kai Havertz's hand, clearly. But then Kai Havertz doesn't put the ball in the net. It, it drops down and Eddie Ketty scored. And even and the, comment, the commentary feed that I had even said, Oh, maybe this is going to be given as a it'll either be a penalty to Arsenal because of Matty Cash handball or an Arsenal goal. And I couldn't understand how we come to the decision of, you know, we go back to the on-field decision and it's no goal. I, I just thought that was ridiculous. But but had that goal gone in, I really think had that goal gone in with with what five, six minutes of normal time to go, and then probably the six additional minutes, I would have backed us to gone on and got the winner 100 percent Probably, probably at the back post because I think we were, we were, we, it, we it, it, I mean, I was, and it would be look, Kai who got I was it. really disappointed when we took off Martinelli because I thought <laughs> if anyone was going to break that high yeah, line, exactly, that's, it was him. Yeah. And I thought he looked like our most dangerous player on the pitch. Um, and, and he came off and, and Saka stayed on. And I thought Saka looked tired, but then Saka he always has that ability to dig out that cross to the far post. And a few times he did it, I think once or twice, it looked like that was a tactic we, we could have, we could have, um, benefited from and I think you know that that's what obviously led to that chance and I think I certainly think that had um had had that had that goal been allowed I think we would have gone and won the game but that's just it's all hindsight and conjecture isn't it but yeah it was um it leaves the most the most frustrating thing was the fact that they played such a high line and if you wanted a team to set up a certain way to play against you especially Arsenal with Martinelli with Saka with Jesus You'd want them to play a high line because you'd be expecting to be able to break that, break those lines with uh, Zinchenko or something like that. Um, and they just didn't time their runs properly, which was really frustrating. Um, you thought Martinelli was on. But yeah, I just feel like Havertz's movement was really good. He can time his runs from midfield and he was doing it quite well. And there was a couple of times he got in. There was one for the Jesus penalty, which I thought should have been a penalty. Um, clear as day penalty for me, um, considering today's standards. Um, but it was Havertz breaking from midfield and breaking those lines was where we had some joy. But Saka and Martinelli just couldn't time their runs and kept on getting caught offside, which was the most frustrating thing. Um, you know, we had moments in that game and as I said, Odegaard had two clear chances where he took maybe one or two many touches in the box and tried to place it in the bottom corner and Martinez guessed right. That should have been a goal for me. And then in the second half, similar position. Odegaard's been scoring those since the start of last season. Edge of the box comes across, usually finds the bottom corner. Twice he didn't do it. Um, it was just a really frustrating day. But the performances as a whole, like the performance as a whole, I'm quite positive about it. I don't come away with that thinking, oh, no, we've really fucked it now. It's an unfortunate result, but I feel like it's not that big a deal. We're only one point off top, you know. 
I know, and the frustration. To Dan's point, I mean, with the Odegaard thing, I mean, I have to say, the first chance when he, he cuts inside um, and takes the touch, it, it, it's a good save by Martinez, but I was expecting the net to ripple. Like, it was yeah. just, it was like, goal. And he, he yeah. saved it. And to be fair to Martinez, he did actually come out after the game. And look, I know there's a lot of, some mm -hmm. Arsenal fans don't necessarily like him. I mean, I look, I like the guy. I don't think we should have sold him. I think had we not sold him, he'd probably be our number one. Oh but my the, God, literally all four um, people I was watching the game with were like, we shouldn't have sold him. Oh, get over it. I know, I know. Actually, the thing, I was quite shocked by that because I... It, I just really know, like... I just In this whole good. kind of Raya, kind of Ramsdale thing, I'd not considered that, oh, maybe if we'd not sold him, then this wouldn't be an issue. But, I mean, I suppose the big thing with, you know, with me for Martin is, I suppose, in hindsight, why I don't sit back and think, oh, no, the one that got away is because no one really project, predicted that his career would go this way. I mean, he mm. had he literally came into the Arsenal team, had 10 or 12 great games. Yeah. We sold him for an inflated fee, considering mm. we probably would have, you know, six months before that, we'd have taken five million from him and been well chuffed. So we got 30 oh, million or near yeah, 30 million yeah. for about after 12 great games. Look, mm. fair play to him. He's gone on and had yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing dude, dude, couple he's of basic, years. He's basically um, like a musician who becomes famous when they're 40. Like, it doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, you know, it's exactly, like that, yeah. it's that kind of... <laughs> um, you know, it's that, ki it's that kind of thing. Um, but no, I was going to just say that he, he in the interview, in the post-match interview, he was, he was quite like, look, he said about Aston Villa that, you know, what we played really well against Man City and, you know, we we dominated Man City like probably no one else has done this season and you know fair play I think he's I make him right with that and then he said look against Arsenal you know we after ten minutes we stuck in there you know we had to really dig in and I think that's a fair assessment I think Arsenal had the majority of the game and that goes back to Dan's point he used the it's word suffer he used the word yeah suffer he used the word suffer eighty five minutes yeah, yeah yeah and that's what it was man we yeah. dominated that game I, I you know it, again it's just unfortunate the result but. We did. I think we did more than enough to at least take a point. But and you know, I think you're 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 thinking about the penalty. I mean, look for me, I, controversially, I actually don't think it was a penalty, in the sense that I think in the normal world where football is properly properly run and administered, where a handball is a proper handball, like a, an intentional handball, and the game isn't run by crooks from the Middle East. What um, world is this? Wow, you know, yeah, where, this where utopian world where there's no VAR <laughs> and everything's perfect and wonderful. I think, do you know what? Sometimes you can make, a, and I think where you know you can make a foul on a player, <laughs> Listen, and it's not James automatically is a yellow card. Setting out his stall here when it comes to VAR. Yeah, and I think, do you know what? Um, if in an, in a normal in a normal world, I'd say, do you know what? It's a coming together in the box. There was no clear intention to make a foul. The guy's his intention is to play the ball. He misses it. He catches the man. I don't, I don't, for me, I can live with that not being a penalty, but, and this is the big but, in a VAR world, in a VAR world, there is no way on God's green earth that that is not a penalty. We saw one earlier in the Palace game. Yeah. I mean, VAR is a shambles, right? I mean, guys, we, I think, guys, guys, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's a disgrace. Like, we've got, I think, I think we really need to talk this through a little bit about the VAR interventions because. Obviously, we mentioned the um, the goal that, that wasn't the disallowed goal and the, mm. this penalty decision. Yeah. There was an elbow 
as well in the game, which that was, was actually something only I was I mean, what the fuck yeah. have we got to do here? That is ridiculous. I mean, this is. I mean, is this payback because Mikel has called out these jabronis for being exactly what they yeah. are? I mean, what the hell is going on here? I know. Well, because, that was the Diego Carlos. Right. That I mean, was in, Diego Carlos in twenty twenty three. In twenty twenty three, with VAR, there is no mm. way that is not a penalty. Despite what James may think in his utopian world that doesn't exist. Right, right, right. Yeah, in 2020, it's a penalty, so, right? Like, we agree with this, guys. Sure, sure. Well, equally so, as you said about the, the uh, Diego Carlos uh, mm. foul on... In, well, it wasn't a foul. That was like gross, mis- gross misconduct. Um, Much like Bruno Gimareshi's forearm smash in the Newcastle 100%. Game. Like, um, the fact that the referee... You know what? The fact the referee didn't see it is completely irrelevant. Well, that's, that's what the, the surely thought. that's the entire point of VAR. Yeah, like it happened in the middle of the field and uh, off the ball, and the the ref didn't see it. So then, if what's the point of VAR if nothing is given for that? The guy was already on a yellow, you know, and that's you know this is. As I didn't realize he was already on a yellow. He was already on a yellow. More shocking, exactly. Me. And the, as much as that frustrates me, and as much as I sort of want to go down the conspiracy sort of. You know, let's route. do it. And I and I don't let's do want it. To. I'm gonna put my Tim Boyle hat on. I don't want to. Um you know, uh you know, I heard it mentioned earlier on today that it's fine to say that there's a bias, everyone has a bias, okay? The idea of saying that as as a conspiracy is a bit different. However, this what is his name? Jared Gillett, right? The guy who refereed that game. Why is that guy allowed to be a ref? He's a Liverpool fan. I mean, look, referees can support football teams. I'm not gonna. I, no, no, no. I actually completely but... disagree with you. Referees should not be allowed to support football teams. Referees should have literally zero interest in the sport of football. All so referees... how do you get them to be a referee then? Because not being funny, if you think about it, if you're a non-football fan, why would you? Or I mean, I don't know how much referees get paid these because days. You're I mean, just I'm, I'm assuming. It's, I'm assuming it's, hang on, I'm assuming it's it's fairly well paid, but I'm not saying it's amazingly well paid. Why would you want to put yourself in a position where you've got 30, 40, 50,000 people every week calling you a wanker? You know, <laughs> why would you? Why would you want to put yourself through that? Like, who, <laughs> who in their right mind? would want to be a referee. Why change the habit of a lifetime, James? I mean, that's... Yeah, but who would want to be a referee? I don't understand anyone who would want to be a referee. No, so I, I think, think, that, I think, I think you're that, being a little listen, bit... I think my point here is that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that kind of job if the... You think it'd the... be like being a policeman? Someone's yes. got to do it. So someone no, will. it's just... No, it should just be entirely bureaucratic. You know, the, you should only be allowed to, to be... Um, okay, I'm not being entirely serious about this, but I'm no, I guess I kind of think that this is kind of the way we should think about going. Okay, if you look them away, look them away be, in a if, dark if room. You, if you want to be a referee, okay, <laughs> one, you should have very little interest in football, at least in terms of like allegiances, and secondly, you should probably be like a netball coach. Like um... I, I personally couldn't disagree with you anymore. Um, I think there is nothing wrong. I actually think referees should like football and should be into it and should be transparent. But I think what should happen is they should be held to account over their decisions a lot more. Um, okay. I think you and I are going to have powerful. to agree to what, this, what I, this what because I, disagree, I don't. I disagree. What I don't like, and look, we're going on a bit of a tangent here, and you know what? That's what this podcast is going to be famous for. I think, but 
Roy Hodgson made a couple of, of, of amazing statements after the, the Liverpool Palace game. Um, and it's true. Who's refereeing the game? Is it the referee or is it the VAR? Yeah. Well, because exactly. to me, That's in that true. situation, the referee didn't see that elbow. So I'm not going to sit here and, and, and criticise the referee for that. It was off the ball. It was in the middle of the field. What I am going to do is criticise the VAR who see that and then think, oh, well, it's not clear and obvious. Yet what is clear and obvious is a handball that 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 even now you can slow that that literally took three or four minutes they were slowing it down from every possible angle and you could barely see that it touched Kai Havertz's fingers you could see it, it sort of rolls down Matty Cash's arm it barely does it. what happens given the advantage to the attacker you know and I know goals change games and and obviously that was a big goal in what was a big game for Aston Villa but it was a big game for Arsenal as well in the title race you know these these are important decisions this is why VAR was brought in it was brought in to stop these howler decisions you know it, there's a lot that I think every single part I can't think of an outlet at the moment you know in mainstream you know Sky BBC The Athletic you know you can just go on and on and on I can't think of a single one where someone's coming out and defending VAR and saying you know what they, this is right we have to stick with this I think everybody is unanimous that this is sucking the enjoyment out of football that the decisions are wrong, that the refereeing standards have got worse because the referees are hiding behind VAR and using it as a cop-out mechanism. Um, I just I just think the officiating this season, I mean, I've watched it all for 30-odd years. Okay, so it's, obviously it sounds the like you but it is a... It, yeah, look, I think Mikel's right. It is a disgrace. I think it some of the decisions... But, it sound, but the technology but they've I mean. got available, when I think, are a disgrace. disgrace what, I mean, you're, say, you're saying that it, you're more on the side of it being to do with incompetence than it being to do with bias. Right. I, I look. I can deal with incompetency. When it was just the referee on his own, I can mm. deal with incompetency. But the yeah. VAR is meant to be there to kind of intervene and stop all this sort of shit, right? And well, I don't exactly. see that happening. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the the Carlos Fowler and Ketia, um, uh, that's the thing that should be flagged up by VAR. Yeah, what 100%. happened? What happened in the box when Eddie eventually got that goal? Well, they said it. They said it wasn't you know, clear. They said it wasn't. That's it. They, they, the, from what I understand, because we don't hear what the VAR says. It's all you know, cloak and dagger, mm. um, which is a joke as well. That I don't understand why the paying punter can't hear that. Yet the commentary team can hear it, but no one else can. Um, they said that there were, it wasn't clear and obvious. So they went with the on-field decision. And the on-field decision was made by the referee. And that's where you make Jared Gillett can't see. You know, he's, he's, he's just he's just taken a punt, isn't he? And said, what, well, it's a handball. He's totally guessed. He's totally guessed. Um, but look, I am fed up of talking about VAR. I'm talking about it's fucking been, you know, it's a separate entity to itself now. We've now spent 10, 15 minutes talking about the inconsistencies of VAR. We're not talking not... about football anymore, are we? Exactly. It's yeah. not getting any better. There has to be something done. Seriously, we no. we can't keep on like this. It's just ruining that the game that we all love. It's got its own TV show now, presented by frigging Michael Owen and Howard Webb. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's I insane. Yeah. Analyzing referees decisions, ref watch on Sky Sports News. What the fuck is going on here, people? Oh my god, that sounds terrible. It, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, and that shouldn't yeah. have to come after every game talking about VAR decisions. And for some reason, we seem to get the raw end of the deal. 
And I mean, it sounds like us complaining and crying, but these are genuine concerns that we're having. Yeah. And it's like we pay our money to watch this game of football and it's just being ruined. It's I'm fed up of it. Yeah. I'm fed up of VAR. It's coming. You can say it's incompetency from the, the people running it. The technology is fine and it's just being used incorrectly. Fine. Train better people. It's not the same in uh, other countries. In Italy, it's apparently run really well. In the World Cup, in the Euros, seems to be run really well. Why is it so shit in England? Why? The handball handball goal disallowed and stuff like that, the one against Bournemouth, it's annoying, it's frustrating, you don't see any advantage. But at least it was consistent. They thought Havertz handballed it, so they disallowed it. The guy handballed it in the attack for Bournemouth, so they disallowed it. That's the rule, and they implemented Mm. the rule. It's annoying. It's shit rule. It's a terrible rule, but at least it was consistent. You can't give a penalty for Crystal Palace earlier on in the day for the exact same thing. In fact, there's probably mm. more contact on Jesus than there was on Mateta in, in the first game. Both were penalties. How do you how do you give one and not the other? There's That lack of consistency yeah. Is the most irritating thing, and that's why it's not being implemented correctly. Yeah, because... I think actually, I think I think that's the most. Yeah, to, I think that's basically you, it. Isn't be it? consistent. Sorry, Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was to, to pull you back on that. Sorry, Graham. To pull to pull you back on that. With when you say about the habits handball, my understanding of the rule was if the goal scorer handballs it, but right, habits exactly, didn't score exactly. the goal. No, I think it was Eddie hand... Nketiah scored the goal. I think it's a handball in the attack. I, do you know what? I don't. No one knows exactly, and that's the whole I point. No know. one knows what handball is anymore. If I may say this, I've been like, this is annoying me so much that I actually went on to Wikipedia and just read through the laws of the game as they what currently as they currently stand in terms of offside handball, blah 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 blah. Dude, guys, guys, no idea. Yeah, there, are, there are t- there are too many there are too many variables, and it's just yeah. I mean, I, t- I look. I think I think ultimate. I, I think ultimately, I think what you know. I think ultimately, I think you can obviously guess this by the the tone of our conversation here and what we've been saying for the last couple of minutes. We think we're screwed by VAR, right? So overall, I mean, I guess the feeling that Dan, you've said you thought we played quite well. Um, you were happy with the performance. You thought we did more than enough to win. You know, I thought that we played well. Um, we were a little bit unlucky in the game. Uh, yeah. we I don't think we did enough actually in terms to win the game, but I certainly didn't think we did enough. We did enough to lose it. Graham, are you? I, I'm assuming you're aligned with those thoughts, yeah? Yeah, basically. I was also going to say, um, as Dan mentioned a little bit earlier, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about V. <laughs> And not enough time talking about football. No, and, don't get me uh, wrong. It's obviously a conversation know, that needs to be yeah, had. I'm point. just sick of frigging having it. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, but on, stuff, but it's on good that... to have this conversation so you of know course, our feelings on it. Of yeah. course. This mm. is not me saying, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's definitely yeah. talk about I it. I think we'd be a miss not to. I think the yeah. Guna yeah. Nation yeah. out the there knows we were fucking robbed. Yeah. No, of course. That shouldn't be a take. Like, I want to, you know, I wanted to focus on the performance itself. But yet, mm. we have to talk about shitty VAR decisions that didn't go away again, yeah. and it's just like I'm, I'm sick of it, man. Yeah, I, it I always feels a little bit like you're trying to turn football into chess. 
Does that make sense? Well, it is, that is exactly. I mean, do you, do you know, know what, what I Michael mean? Owen? Like your, your... Michael Owen made a really silly point where he was talking about throwing <laughs> an apple into a that. bin. <laughs> Michael Owen um, made a silly point. But, but no. Was it the thing about throwing an apple into a bin? No, no. But he made a point about he made a, he made a point about how individualism has kind of been coached out of football players, and that it's all about positions of play and patterns of play, and it is the chess board type thing you you said. I think Villa's goal was like that. And you know what is really, do you know what has really sickened me? As much as the, the VAR nonsense um, and the bitter taste that you get in the game. Look, Arsenal have lost games. I've been a fan for th- over 30 years. We've lost games where we shouldn't have lost. And we've been on the wrong end of dodgy refereeing decisions. Listener, I'm sure you can think of loads. Um, it's one of the reasons why I hate the 49 chant. And listener, you will know what I mean when I say that. Um, that game. Riley. That Dan? Don't even go there. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But that on. game, that game, you know, over ten, well, nearly twenty years ago, still grinds my gears. But do you know what I was going to say was that um, was was that the other thing that really gets on my coat is the kind of revisionism about Unai Emery, that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, look, I'm speaking for myself here when I say this. I can't forget the last six months of his reign of terror. No. Um, what do you guys no. think? No, uh, yeah, look, there is no doubt that Unai Emery is a very, very, very good manager, very good coach. He has a distinguished career, career, won European trophies, league trophies in France, which doesn't really count, but we'll count it anyway. Um, but um, essentially, he was just a wrong man for Arsenal. Some may say right man, wrong time. I think that job after Arsene was a near impossible job, I think anyone could have come in and it would have been a massive problem. Um, I, But I agree. I do not like this revisionism of like, oh, well, you know, if we'd still had Emery, we might have been doing this, doing that. It's bollocks. It's absolute nonsense. Oh, no, it's Tony Adams said we'd have won the league. Yeah. And, and I hate to disagree with <laughs> the greatest Mr. captain Arsenal, in Arsenal yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, I hope he doesn't hear yeah, this because... Yeah. I love that man, but mm. he's wrong, so, um, <laughs> um, which is really unfortunate to say, but it just is. Um, yeah. Well, look, we're, play- we're playing a completely pointless uh, Champions League game uh, tomorrow night. I don't think we've, we'd be playing that completely pointless Champions League game tomorrow night if Emery was still, was still <laughs> Arsenal manager. So... I make you right, and it wouldn't be pointless you know. either. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it would be really, it would be a really important, uh, you know, Europa League or even worse, Europa <laughs> Conference League game. So, yeah, which which Villa will go on and win, and it'll be the greatest European, you know, triumph. Oh, dude, it'll be the same with well, West since Ham. West Ham, like, yeah, West Ham. champions of Europe. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, some, I remember listening to something recently. Somebody made the point of like the the, the issue with the Conference League is like it's not for you. Like it's not meant to be for like you know uh, mid-table Premier League clubs. It's meant to be for you know random clubs in Azerbaijan or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think I think it was more for like the the top teams in the smaller leagues. But the problem yeah. is the top teams in the small leagues get into the Champions League, get knocked yeah. out of that, and they go into the Europa League, and they don't ever get the chance to go in the Conference League, do they? But um, yeah. That's true. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Dan's right. I think I think Aston Villa probably would, would do quite well in that. I don't mm. buy all this stuff that Aston Villa are title. Oh no, title no, no race. I think I think no. they'll be in the race for the top four, but mm. I don't think they're in the title race. No, I yeah, think it's yeah, between yeah. us, our City and Liverpool. 
But this is the Liverpool, game, that Liverpool game is getting closer and closer on the horizon. I know, I know. Well, I, I sound see... like an old man, right? But modern day football, social media and stuff like that is so reactionary. It's so knee-jerk to everything that happens. One week, you're top of the league and it's Arsenal's title to lose and all of that stuff. And then yeah. one result and it's like, oh, are Arsenal full enough? Yeah. Are we going to get relegated? Uh, are we, you know, exactly. Yeah, it's bollocks. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so we have PSV um, and then we play Brighton at home. Pause. Stop. So, yeah, not to sound like an old man, right? But the problem with modern day football... Which you are. Yeah, yeah, very, very old. But the problem with modern day football, social media, so much content, including a great another Arsenal podcast, (laughs) wherever the weather, (laughs) blah, 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 right? All of that tagline stuff. The problem with it, it's so reactionary. That's whatever the weather. Another... (laughs) It's so knee-jerk. It's so reactionary to every little thing. Last week, we were top of the league, and it's like, oh, Arsenal, they're going to go on. They're the biggest competitors for Man City. And now we've lost a game in Liverpool. Now it's Liverpool, the favourites. Villa in the Mm. top three. Are they title contenders? Yeah. It's ridiculous. We're not even that far. Not even that long through the season. (laughs) Not even halfway. (laughs) Not even halfway. It's interesting because... You know what? I watched the um, the stick to football from the overlap and um, Jamie Carragher, and that's the point where Graham starts going boo. Um, <laughs> Jamie Carragher made the point that he he felt out, when they James. were talking about who oh no, that was the Jamie title. Said, yeah, <laughs> see what he did there. They spoke. <laughs> they spoke about um, who can win the title, and it's obviously it's given as a granted. It's, it's taken for granted that obviously City are going to be amazing and when Kevin De Bruyne comes back, they're just going to blow everyone away. And, you know, and that may well be the case. But I couldn't believe what I was listening when they were giving credence to Aston Villa um, and obviously his biased nature, they're giving they're giving credence to Liverpool. Yeah. And with Arsenal, it's, well, they're too emotional. They're too yeah. emotional. They're not playing as well as last season. They're oh too God, emotional. Are they actually, I haven't listened to this, but are they still on that? Yeah, it's too on emotional. That, on that fucking narrative. Yeah, it's too emotional. Really? Okay. Um, they're not playing as well as last season. They've won certain games in the last minute. So we beat Man United and Man City, Luton Town in the last minute, and that went for us. We lost games that we should have drawn against Newcastle and Villa. Um, is is basic, uh, is the underlying metric that actually maybe we're not playing as well as we were last season and we're just kind of scraping through games. We're making things hard for ourselves. Are we really the real deal? You know, rather than mm. I think you could easily, I think you could easily flip that and be like, well, that's what champions do. So I, yeah. I think for my whole life, I've lived, I've, I've grown up with the footballing kind of narrative or story or, or or feeling that, well, you know what, a sign of champions is when you win without playing well. <laughs> yeah. Except when Arsenal do it. <laughs> of course, of course, that doesn't fit the, the narrative. Dan, are we in the title race, mate? We are the title race. Second favourites, probably. But yeah, we are in a title race. Are we playing as well as last season? Probably not. Attacking-wise, didn't seem as fluid. But I feel like defensively, we've improved massively. Barring the Luton game, obviously. Um, But I feel like in the past few games, we've been getting 
that attacking football back. I feel like against Lons, we were really good. Uh, Wolves, we were really good. Villa, we created chances. Luton, we created chances. So we're creating chances more in the past few games than we have been previously. However, as you've noticed, we are now conceding goals again. So Mikel needs to get that balance right. And once he does, I think, you know, as I said, with players coming back, get Thomas Partey in that team, Timber coming back, Tommy Cafu needs to stay fit. Um, yeah, God, who knows what that injury is going to be. It's a it calf, is. isn't it? Yeah, so we thought it was a knock. Now it's longer term. And this is the most frustrating thing with these players, right, is that it's all well and good having top quality players, but if they're on the bloody treatment table, what are we doing mm. here? You know, it's like Thomas Partey is in that Arsenal eleven week in week out, right? If he's fit, but what what can we do? You know, so we probably need to upgrade on him. It'll probably be a summer job now, but one of those things. But I really do feel like if we can get a couple of players back. And just maintain what we're doing. We're, we're playing yeah. well enough to well, win. Well, it's good. It's games. good that you say, you talk about players coming back. So, so Smith Rowe is back in training, so we could see him playing tomorrow. He's on the plane. Against, he was he's on, on the plane. plane. He, was, he was pictured on the plane. He's yeah. pictured on the plane. So I, uh, um, I want to see Smith Rowe playing against PSV. Smith Rowe on the plane, bitches. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if anyone's going to agree with me here, but I've kind of, kind of done. With I don't Smith agree Rowe. with you. Yeah, no, I'm kind of you. I'm kind of done with Smith. No, Ray. do you know what I I I know why you would say Danny that. Sam's get out of our club. <laughs> I know why you would say that, but I do. I just think the Smith. Do you know what I'm going to say? Something that's probably completely wrong, and I hope that listener you will agree with me and and hit us up in the comments. Please hit us up on social media. But I'm going to make a, a mess statement right now. Emma Smith Rowe reminds me of Paul Merson so much. Yeah, same. He really does. I just think he's just off the cuff. I think he's just a talent. And I want him playing for the Arsenal. I don't want him bumming around at Aston Villa right. or Newcastle is... or West Ham or whatever. And I just think maybe maybe he's not a starter for us. I accept that. But I think he's got a role to play. Hmm. I really do. And I think he gives this squad something that we don't have. I, I do. I worry sometimes. I think when we're at our very best, you know, and I think the Lons game is an example of that. When we're an attacking force, I think our front five, when they click, are a match for anyone. You know, Martinelli, Saka, Gabriel Jesus, Martin Odegaard, and either Kai Havertz or Trossard. I think that's kind of a, a plug and play situation. I think they are a match for almost anyone. But I, I can't help but think that the Emil Smith Rowe adds something to that balance. When when those guys aren't quite at it, yeah. I feel like Smith Rowe is a better option than a Fabio Vieira. Um, I was actually, you know, do you know what I mean? You I mentioned just, I was literally about to. I was actually just thinking yeah. of uh, Vieira in that. Um, when in I that, say in that regard, when I say I'm done with Smith Rowe, that's not to say that I don't think he's a really really good player, top quality player. But we gave him the number ten shirt what two years ago. Three years ago, mm. Mm. Um, he was a top goal scorer, wasn't he? A couple of seasons. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. Um, he was making a load of cameos off the bench, grabbing important goals and stuff like that. It was really good. He hasn't kicked on, and injuries it's are a injuries, massive part. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, injuries are a massive part of availability is the best ability. Exactly right. So, but then even when he gets fit, does Mikel really trust him? 
I think Mikhail, he... Mikhail obviously it's time to trust him and he's not been there's not I, I just don't know I just don't you know. know and I, I I'm mm. I really I'm kind of at the stage. Well, it says that you do. You already kind of said that you do know because you kind of said that you've already let go. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think Mikel trusts him, and I, I'm in this. Mikel probably. I think I'm in this stage. Doesn't trust him. I think Mikel probably can't rely upon him. I mean, I'm jumping in a little bit here, and I'm doing Graham's job. Not like you. That's not like. No, no, go ahead. I know, I know, I know, but probably something that that we kind of. um, I know we spoke about when we watched the games, but you know. You mentioned about a sellable asset and what we do, a sellable asset and what we do next. Is the big red herring that we need a centre forward? Uh, I, I mean, Dan, think... come on! I know you're on the even Tony train. Come on, it's time to profess your love. <laughs> I have been, and I was, I was on the even Tony train when he was in the championship and he finished top goal scorer. And I thought at the time because Arsenal weren't doing great at that time either. Take a punt. Take a punt. I thought we were being football snobbish and refused to look in the championship because we're Arsenal Football Club. I get it. I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't try and buy a striker from the championship now. Three years on, that's just <laughs> being, being ridiculously um, hypocritical. Mm-hmm. But I would love Ivan Tony at Arsenal. I really would. But I don't think it's our main problem. I, I think it's great to add to the squad. And I think a centre forward would be good for something different. But our starting 11, our starting attack, Gabriel Jesus is phenomenal. And there's not many players in the league, in Europe, or in the world can do what he does. Okay. So to kind of like... I'm inclined to agree. Be devil, to, be, to be devil's advocate to you both, we're not competing with any old team. We're competing with Manchester City, the greatest, arguably one of the best club teams of all time. Um, they've got Erling Haaland, who's a 50-goal-a-season striker. Gabriel Jesus, we saw he he had a couple of half chances on Saturday against Aston Villa. He didn't take them. We've seen in the past Eddie Nketiah when we were against Wolves, through one-on-one, hits the post. You know, it's fine margins, admittedly. But is that going to be the difference? You know, it, it might have been the difference last season. You know, I think Erling Haaland put in a season good enough to win the, the Ballon d'Or. And I think in any other year where Messi doesn't win a World Cup, he does win the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that is the difference. Look, as I said, Ivan Tony in our squad would be fantastic. And it'd be good to have It doesn't have option. to be necessarily even Tony. I mean, it could be we've mm. been linked with Victor Oshiman. Um, I think he's probably a little bit out of our price range, yeah. mind you. Yeah. But even but Tony I... seems the one. But and I see your point. You know, Eddie had a chance on on Saturday when it was crossed over, and he had a, a free header essentially, and it was just not very good. Um, we could definitely upgrade on Eddie and Ketia. Um But as a starting eleven, I don't think we need a centre forward. It's not the priority concern for me. That's not the first. I don't look at our team and go, "Oh, we really need a striker." I, I don't think that. I mean, do you think then with with that, I mean, and, and I'm going to speak for Graham on this as well, because I know we've, we've spoken, obviously, away from the podcast listener about this, but if if he's not a first-choice first striker, is it such a bad thing to have someone who came through the ranks at Hale End, who clearly loves the club, in Eddie Nketiah, being our backup striker? And is that not the same case for Emil Smith-Rowe? Like, for him to be our, like, our backup number 10, would you not rather Emil Smith-Rowe there than... Some, and I don't mean to sound xenophobic, a nondescript Spaniard 
who has got no connection <laughs> to the club, who's not because non- because because do you know yeah, but do you know what right? No, but the thing so, is, like, with, with the problem is, with Pro, like, he's come really through at Hayland. That's really he's funny. He's come. He's but, come no, through no, no, Hayland. I, I actually he's got, really, I We've got the agree. song. Yeah. You know, there's a connect. There's a connection there. It's yeah. like Reese Nelson. Like there is, and I really hope that Reese starts tomorrow against PSV. Yeah. Um, and I hope that Bukayo Saka is given a rest. Although I'm sure that Bukayo Saka will start, but I really hope that he Reece didn't Nelson train today, because, James. He didn't train know, today. Well, they let, they let know, him have a nap because Brighton Brighton's a tough game on Sunday. But do you know what? I, mm. I just think that you know what we've got guys like Reese Nelson, Emil Smith Rowe, and Eddie Nketiah, who I think you know, and maybe I'm overinflating them. I think they get into a lot of starting lineups in the Premier League. And I just yeah. think we're lucky to have, we've got this crop of Hayland guys. They clearly love the club. You know, there's a connection with the fan base. You know, we spoke about the connection that we've, we've all got with Aaron Ramsdale and why we found it difficult to accept David Raya. And I just think these guys, you know what, this team, and I know it was spoken about a lot last The reason season. you don't like Raya is because he's Spanish, isn't it, James? Well, you know, it was spoken a lot <laughs> last season and, and Amy Lawrence spoke about it a lot last season. She spoke about the comparisons between the, the, the early George Graham era and the 89 team mm. and how it was built on guys like Paul Merson and um, David Rocky Rowcastle and, and mm. Paul Davis and Tony Adams and guys like that who came through the youth ranks. And I just think, do you know what? you don't get these youth players that often. You know, we went th- we that's went 20 true, years true. basically with our two youth players that came through was Ashley Cole, boo, Ooh. and Jack Wilshire, who unfortunately you know, got, got a bit injury prone. <laughs> and I just think while we've got these guys, let's just, you know, I just think they're ready to give it all for the Arsenal. And I just yeah. think that, that it just means more. It does. I, I just think we've got, you know, look at our, our next five league games. Um, Obviously, after we've got PSV, we've got Brighton at home, Liverpool away, which is an absolutely huge game on the 23rd. Then we're at West Ham, when we've got West Ham at home, followed by Fulham at home, and then we go to Liverpool in the FA Cup. We've got Liverpool at home in the FA Cup. But you you look at that league-wise, Brighton, Liverpool, West Ham, Fulham. We've got to come through that with with a decent points return, right? I think, yeah, the the midweek game is nothing let's have it right it is nothing it means nothing sunday is the important one rest those players because there there is no point in playing any type of strength team i want to see ethan nwari i want to see miles skelly i want to see them all yeah (laughs) that's it because there is nothing you're gonna have to accept the fact that you won't because it's mikhail and he'll play like you know, do you know what I like the fact though that he doesn't throw games away? Yeah, like, you know, I'll say it's, not... it's like in a weird way. I wonder. I do wonder. Does Mikel think? Do you know what? There's a few. Fa- there's a few thousand fans here that have paid like mm. seventy quid for a ticket. They've paid like five hundred quid for hotel. And, here, and yeah, host- yeah. yeah, exactly. You know what? They don't want to watch us lose flipping. Yeah, PSV. I yeah. do think he likes to find a balance. He likes to find a balance mm. where he rotates some and then still plays some sort of strength players. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I think there are some players that you can guarantee will start that game. As as you said earlier, like Ramsdale might start that game. Wait, is that good? Is that a will. good thing though? Is that a good thing? Right. So say Saliba doesn't play, and we play Kivior and Ben White. Mm. Uh, so uh, Ramsdale behind a makeshift defence, say, 
Is that going to be any good for his confidence? As a great man once said, you don't take the Rolls Royce out on the dirt roads. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, that, right? I don't oh quite think this God, is a game. I don't, I don't know if this is a game for Cedric. I, do you know what? I'll tell you what I would love to see, right? And without, I never I mentioned I Cedric. Think, no one mentioned I Cedric. James. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think. I didn't think we'd go down. Listener, I didn't think we'd go down this route of discussing what our potential lineup. That's the would title be. of the podcast, isn't um, it? No one mentioned Cedric. Yeah, but do you know what? I think to Graham. Graham said it earlier on. Aaron Ramsdale has to start. Yeah. Right. The guy got us to the Champions League. He hasn't played a Champions League game mm. yet. Aaron Ramsdale has to start. That's my first pick. Um, Jacob Kiwior has to start. I don't know where he starts, but he has to start. Wait, wait, James, um, are you actually doing your... Yeah, I'm going your, through Are you I'm going doing through. your squad? Jorginho, Jorginho has to start. Okay. Mamadou Nenny has to start. Reese Nelson has to start. Eddie Nketiah has to start. That Those... Was that five, six players I've mentioned there? Six. Six, okay. That, that's the core of your team and you build around that. With, with, you, you, you assess that with who's fit. Um, mm. If Emil Smith-Rowe is fit enough to start, then I think you give him a start. Oh, 100%. Um, I don't, the two players that I don't want to see play, mm. to be honest with well, actually there's three. I don't want to see Gabriel Jesus play because he's just come back from a knee injury and you mm. know what, let's give him a bit of rest. I don't think it's a game for Bakaya Saka. And I would like to see Declan Rice rested, but other than that, I mean, even Saliba, I don't, I don't, I don't mind. I think if he plays, I think he's, I think the defend, the defenders, I think when they get in a role, they get in a role. Yeah. Um, but I'm, yeah, obviously in an ideal world, yeah, you, Saliba, Gabriel, um, Saka, Declan Rice, they don't need to play this game. Before before we end, before we end, I just want to make it clear. Mm. I feel like I've been quite negative today, and um. I don't know why. I think it was because James was so positive. It kind of threw me off and I kind yeah. of, uh, you know, went into a mindset. Well, I just, I just think, you know what, as <laughs> I said, I, I keep going back. That Carragher stuff about us on, on a knife edge, it, it kind of has really played in my mind because I think I kind of flip flop. I mean, one hand, I think, you know, what, we've been really lucky to win games and we're not, we're clearly not playing as well as and free flowing football as we were last season. And, you know, the atmosphere is probably not as good in the Emirates and the weight of expectation. And we've spent hundred million pounds on Declan Rice and blah, blah. And then the other part of me just thinks, you know what, fuck off. You scouse twat, you're yeah. biased. You're absolutely biased. We yeah. are the Arsenal. It's in our DNA. Nobody likes us. See, you know, okay. I think the old so, George Graham stuff. And I think, do you know what? Let's just double down. I yeah. think, you know what? We are actually, we're ticking, we're ticking along nicely. We're top, we were top of the league. We're top of the Champions League group. You know what? No one can burst our bubble. I'd go as far as to say, you know what? Mikel knows. Mikel knows. I believe so. I reckon he... Believe knows so. we need to wrap it up probably yeah i think i think he does he's a disgrace <laughs>